Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here with Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast of the United States. My guest today for a return appearance is Jack Devine. Jack is a former acting CIA director of operations. He's today the president of something called the Arkin Group. He is one of the foremost authorities in the world uh, on the nature of the intelligence community, particularly in the area of the world that we're very uh, interested in. Jack's great book, great book, is called The Spy Master's Prism. I don't think there's any national security secrets revealed in that book, but there's a lot revealed <laughs> in that book that will fascinate the reader about the nature of intelligence and Jack's life uh, when he was uh, active in that uh, community. Jack, my dear friend, uh, thanks for coming back uh, on Judging Freedom. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you for noting the book. Uh, you're absolutely right. I had to go through a rigorous review, um, but in the preparation of the book, I had actually found out a lot of things that were in the public record that I didn't dream were in there. So that's, it turned out to be quite interesting. Yeah, that's good. Cause if it's in the public record, obviously, uh, obviously you can cite it. What, what can you tell us about the current um, American intelligence uh, assessment uh, of the, uh, of the plans of Vladimir Putin? I mean, does he plan to uh, obliterate Ukraine uh, is he going to pull back to the Donbass region uh, in the east? Is this a war to the bitter end? Is it still popular in Russia? Can you, can you, is it popular at all in Russia? Can you address these issues, Jack? Yeah, so I think, first of all, I think the intelligence community was spot on in terms of predicting. And I think even in, uh, you know, President Zelensky wasn't convinced they were going to invade until right the night before. Uh, so I think the intelligence community really nailed that, and uh, and that's one of, the, one of the things it gets paid for is early warning on a, an attack. So I give them hard, uh, give them high high marks. Now there you have multiple means of collecting intelligence: signals, intelligence, communications, movement, overhead pictures. When you talk about what's in Putin's mind, now it gets really tricky and really hard. So I, having been in those positions, I don't envy the job where satellites don't help you and intercepts are marginally helpful. So what's in Putin's mind? And he has a much more restricted, contained world than most national leaders. I mean, whether or not he was... What do you mean by he has a more restricted and contained world than most national leaders? I think COVID... Uh, I think he took COVID to, to heart, so to speak, and he limited his, and you can see with his briefings, I mean, they're they're hard to imagine in an American setting where the President of the United States has people 25 feet away from him, right? Or at the end of the table, two generals, so in, in the COVID world. So I think he's limited his his mobility, his, his friends. I think it's a narrower world. Although 
I do think the pundits, and and I would include in their you know intelligence pundits and so on, may see it a little more restricted down to a handful of, of people. I think it's more than that. But I think he does it, I think he has his own counsel. I think he has people that he's trusted. You know, when you're a, a dictator, and that's what we have, an autocrat, let's we'll put a nicer spin on it. Is he is he getting an accurate picture uh, of what's going on on the ground? In Ukraine, or are we getting an accurate picture of what's going on? Yeah, I think Ukraine? I'm not worried about us. I mean, we really, our military is trained to provide, you know, accurate information. I'm not saying there isn't a glitch here, uh, here or there. The coordination process, democracies do uh, do. This is one of the strengths of democracy is that you have an exchange of views. The views are spread out over a broader range. When we don't do it, that's when we have political flaps. Spy flaps is when you don't do the coordination. In autocratic systems, there's a genuine fear of telling the boss what he doesn't want to hear. So I think he is more prone to getting, yes, sir, yeah, that's a great idea. Why not invade? And I do think that on the ground, there's a fear that the report back that you're losing, right? Because bad things can happen to you if you lose uh, – in a tough, in that tough environment. So I, I don't think, I think their assessment was off. And I would say it could have been honestly off. In other words, they weren't yes manning. They all believed that somehow the Ukrainians were going to roll over and that it would be a cakewalk. And there is some case to be made for that. But clearly, the determination of the Ukrainians to fight, they missed that. Then they decided and they came up with a strategy. And this is the part where the war fighters, and I would defer to them, they had a grandiose strategy with an army that was far less effective than Putin, I think, or anyone else realized. I'm surprised at how, how uh, poor its logistics, its planning, even the discipline within its troops, and I guess we'll get the atrocities somewhere. So I, I think he spent a lot of money on high-end technology weapons and they didn't do enough on blocking and tackling and uh, the training and logistics. I ran the program to get the Russians out of Afghanistan for the CIA at one point. And the real heroes are the logistics people. How do you make things move on time? And you better pay a lot of attention. You don't get big awards. You don't get on the front page of a magazine. But, you know, Unity says Grant won the war against Lee by being a logic uh, logistics expert. Right, so right. I'm simplifying. But my point is, you know, there was a lot of poor preparation for this. Now, they look like they're on their back heels. They really took a suffer to defeat. There's no way you can say that the first phase of this war was not a defeat for the Russians. So they're stunned. They're frustrated. They're angry at themselves, Not you know, and, and everybody else that walks near them. Um, but now they're regrouping, and I am concerned. They've now decided on a different strategy, which I think probably makes more sense. In other words, go concentrate your, your effort in the East. So I don't think this war is over, and I think there's going to be a really tough fight down there, and it's a different fight than in, in Kiev. Do, so, the, uh, do the American – does the imposition of American sanctions affect Putin's strategy at all? I think there's two issues. One, I think it's painful over a period of time. It's going to really grind down the Russians. I don't think it impacts on the strategy at all. In other words, I think he, 
his and and this often happens in American political decisions in the, the White House and elsewhere. And that is, people talk about oil and Ukraine, but it really often is just straight politics and political. He wanted the Ukraine as to make Russia great again and to add all of the stands and everything else around it. One of the points we miss is the reason you want it is the real enemy is us. I mean, this is really a 1950 mindset. So he wanted it, and he wants it at almost any price. And that's what I think we need to realize, that as good as the sanctions are and you make them better, he is gonna, he's going to hang tough. He's going to hang tough on the sanctions, try and find every way to evade it. So I, uh, it, this will not, the sanctions are not going to change the negotiations. What are, what What's going to change negotiations, I'm sorry, Judge, is the fighting on the ground. That's the only thing that is going to change negotiations. What do we do about the uh, atrocities? Let's assume that they're real. That picture that's been all over the world, uh, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, you can't see the face, with hands tied behind the back and a, and a bullet in the brain, and many so, more uh, like it. It's, it's uh, gut-wrenching. So what's being... Uh, said widely now is that it's not just in that one isolated place. It's it's more general. If that turns out to be the case, uh, then what you have is what I alluded to earlier: an army that isn't disciplined and trained, and you know, was were orders given? Uh, probably not. But was the lack of training, understanding of how you occupy areas? Uh, because when you have are troops that are so frustrated, so angry, and they're they're in a defeat mode, that they do extreme measures, and they're not thinking about the consequences. And the consequences are huge, because once you commit atrocities, it puts you in a unique category of countries, and you become a genuine untouchable, right? In other words, how do you have Putin at dinner if he's responsible or Russian? the Russian generals. So uh, I think the world will be tremendously repulsed if this, and I think they already are. I mean, I think it's changed the dynamic about fighting to save the Ukrainians to this is a really, you know, uh, evil uh, government, if you will, if it is government sponsored. But I, I think it's really government shortcomings in the sense that there weren't any checks and balances on this, uh, you know, and they, there's their approach to war and looking at Ukrainians. You don't do this unless you really hate Ukrainians. I mean, Wait, but all right. So does he? Does he think that he captures Ukraine? Uh, those wheat fields, if they're not destroyed, become his. Zelensky uh, flees to uh, Geneva. Uh, does he think he can? And you just said you don't think so return to the international scene. Never going to he, he shrunk the day he walked into, his army walked into Ukraine. In other words, he was viewed as a political force in the world, a powerful guy. Now he'll be a shrunken, desperate uh, a criminal who nobody's going to want to, want to deal with. I mean, he's, he is now in a very weakened position. Having said that, you know, don't write don't write his obituary because despots can hang on. Look how long Castro hung in, or you know, Chavez and Madero or Assad. You know, we're always predicting they're going in, you know, 24 hours or whatever. 
But he is a much weakened leader who could never, how can he go to Versailles in a tuxedo and have champagne with a G20 or something? So I, I think he's, he's finny. There's no comeback. Whereas he can hold on and grind Russia down and you know subjugate it to the horrible uh, repression. Grind, grind Ukraine down. No, Russia. <laughs> I don't even misspeak. I, I think he's going to have a bigger problem in Ukraine than he'll have over the long run in Russia. But in the youth in Ukraine, I think he's if its generals are talking, they're going to say, look, occupying it and controlling the whole country is probably beyond the pale. But maybe we can, and it reminds me of Afghanistan, we'll take a couple of the big cities and we'll hold it. But, you know, we're going to have an insurgency and it'll be hit and run and it'll go on. And how, be, um, Jack, how exposed, how exposed is uh, Putin to being removed from office by either the intelligence community, which you told me has its own little army. He must know about that. He's a former member of the intelligence community or by his senior military people? A lot of autocrats are walked out the door, right? I mean, taken to the chopping block. But I think that's less likely here. I, I think the people may be unhappy, but in order to remove a leader, if you're going to have a conspiracy, it requires multiple people. And they're hard to organize. And I, I think he's got a grip on his own institutions. In other words, there's enough fear in there that if, Billy tries to reach Harry, and if someone finds out they're dead, they're gone, they disappear. So I think the classical coup is not likely at all. Um, and, and I think what is more likely, in my view, is that the system, let's say after some settlement, let's hope it's one that is uh, not positive for Putin, once his army leaves, and Russia st still has to live with the aftermath of it. And I think the citizenry gets less happy. The, the government disgruntled people get happy. But the ability to organize a coup, uh, I think, is probably limited. What I would predict more likely is that someday there's a demonstration that gets bigger and out of hand sooner, and the military and the police just, in an uncoordinated way, decided they're not going to suppress it. And the next right. thing you have a... Right. The changing government. So I think it's a longer, those that are waiting for palace coup. Now I could wake up tomorrow morning. I would not be surprised if he was taken out tomorrow. Right. But right. I don't really feel that that's what's going to happen or that there's a group of generals so disgusted. And, uh, that, but the country, once the country is considered to be, you know, a lame country, you think the Chinese want to be in bed with them forever. Who's going to be their ally? You know, be strictly commercial ties. It'll be, Everybody in that country will be looked upon as, you know, a second, second, third rate person. And eventually it grinds on the, uh, on the society. Uh, but we so, haven't really had um, a dictator who's waged a war like this in Europe since Hitler. Obviously is, had no moral compass. Putin obviously has no moral compass. To whom can he turn? What can he say to a crowd to get them to cheer? that will justify what he's done to capture some plots of dirt in Ukraine. One thing that surprises me is that given the world we live in, the social media, I would have predicted that everybody in Russia knew the full story, right? And that he would try disinformation, but it would only be effective around the corner. But every indication that, um, that I can see is that there's a, 
large number of Russians that actually believe is disinformation. You know, the, the atrocities are a Ukrainian plot. And so, um, you know, the, this, the disinformation uh, part of this, uh, you know, he, he might be able, I, I don't know how it's possible, but he might be able to convince a, a significant number of the, of the Russian people that, you know, he, he was put upon and that it was the Americans were behind it and so on. All I'm saying, the judge, is that wears down over time. Um, you know, they had demonstrations in Berlin. Someone called and said, well, that's a paid demonstration, right? <laughs> in other words, it's it's one that's organized and, you know, it's not spontaneous. I mean, I don't know how you can sit and look at objective, any form of Western media and not come to the conclusion that, what happened is evil. The fact that he invaded, saying that little the Ukraine was going to pick on him and invaded, he went into how can you how can you say that with a straight face? But he did, and a lot of people in his own country seem to have signed up to it. Amazingly, I don't think it's so much in the urban areas it is in the countryside. But even there, they get the numbers that they say he has a number of people in the cities have to think that you know Russia is not the instigator, but. I think no matter any objective view of this thing has to look at Putin as basically having undertaken an evil enter enterprise here. And is there a energy uh, sun is, is just dreadful. Okay. Is there a view uh, in the state department or the American intelligence community uh, that they want to bring about or use this, in an effort to to oust Putin, to bring about regime change, was was President Biden speaking out of school, or just was that just some loose thought in his head when he said regime change? This guy can't be allowed to stay in office. Well, some of my libertarian friends, you know uh, that I'm one, and and some of your former colleagues say that the State Department has been manipulating for regime change since this guy. Uh, took over in the year 2000. So on 2 March, I had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, and I said, Putin has sowed the seeds of his own demise, right? Let him fall of his own weight. Keep the pressure, maximum pressure on him, but do not meddle inside, because the chances of it getting cocked up and turned upside down, where people are saying, here are the Americans interfering regime change in our country. And I question the ability I mean, listen, you're talking to a practitioner. <laughs> Look, the ability to have orchestrating that type of regime change in a major state, um, I, I would really counsel that this is unwise, that you strengthen all of the economic issues. You make the Ukrainian fight as strong as you can on their side, but just keep them bo uh, boxed in and he will, his own people will bring an end to the Putin era. If we Jack, start are we fighting, are we, we fighting? Fail, we will fail and it will backfire. Are we fighting a proxy war right now? This isn't one of our choosing. I mean, this this is really Putin decided to go, go in. There is no, I, I see no indication that, uh, you know, we wanted to have a proxy war. But at this point, I don't see where we have much of a choice that, you know, 
he goes in and takes over Ukraine, he then becomes a more dangerous threat to us. So I think we have to be, be in there. Why is he a dangerous threat to us, to the United States of America, if he succeeds in Ukraine? Well, this is, this is a little bit, you know, even beyond the book, I, you know, I, I was pretty tough on him. But I didn't see him as intrinsically evil. as almost just a hard-nosed intelligence operator. And I think he's at the core, there's something fundamentally evil in his behavior. But the second, uh, you know, the, the second thing is, I didn't realize how intense. I really believe, and I've warned everybody in the book, that he was trying to rebuild the Soviet Union. But I didn't. I kept saying we need to reset with them. And now I realize we're the real enemy. Now, there was a guy who defected. They called him Comrade Jay. And I think 2004, I could be off a little bit on the year. Uh, but Commander Jay, uh, when he joined the KGB, they asked him, what was the number one target? U.S., NATO, and China in that order. Uh, so when he joined in the 80s, that's what the target said. So, well, what was the what was the ranking priority for the KGB in 2004? And he said, well, it was the U.S., NATO, and China, right? Now, China's changed a bit. But what I'm saying is his overall, and it's hard to realize this where we sit. He really believes the United States is out to get him. I mean, and that he has to fight like Stalin. But I want, I want to get back. It's hard to accept. So that's why what you it's said not earlier. about Ukraine. It's about us. How are we harmed if he takes over Ukraine? Well, the question is, will he stay there? In other words, I've been successful. Why don't I take the, the Baltics? Why don't I, you know, look, Poland, you know, what's wrong with Poland? I might be able to, you know, there are a lot of Russians in Poland. Um, so I, I, I think he becomes, first of all, the GDP, let's be practical, GDP, Russia is like Spain or France. All through history, people said, if you have Ukraine, now you become a player. So I think he wants to strengthen, Russia becomes, uh, you know, he has nuclear weapons. If you took them away, he'd be a second-rate country. But with the Ukraine, he'd have to be in the league with the, the big boys. And that's why he, he wants that. So if he wasn't aggressive towards, what's the problem? But I'm saying... He really wants to have a fight with us. And I think it's been, I've been slow to coming to the conviction that it's not just making himself strong. He really thinks that, you know, we need to be, we need to be uh, taught a lesson. If his uh, tank commanders misread their GPS devices and send uh, uh, projectiles across the border into Poland, and they destroy uh, American military equipment there, maybe even harm some American personnel. What do we do? I think we fire right back. Uh, this is, uh, when I was doing the Afghan war, there was a discussion about the stinger. If you put it in, it would start World War III. And very senior people in the intelligence world believed that. I didn't believe that. <laughs> you know, look, what are they gonna do? And I feel that way. I've been vacillating at least the beginning on the MIGs. And I, but, you know, now we're putting tanks in and we should. Now I believe we should have put the MIGs in, okay? Because what was he going to do? So here's your, the question. If he does that in, 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 in any NATO country or hits any American, we must respond. And what is he going to do? 
I mean, you have to ask it. You say, well, he's going to use it. He's not going to use it. you got to punch him back. And he does not have an army to match what he's now demonstrating. He does not have an army that matches Western armies. It's not sophisticated enough. It's communications. It's coordination. So if he wants to try that, he's getting the worst advice uh, 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 the head of state can get to think that he can do that and walk away. It won't happen. Yeah. Jack Devine, former acting CIA director uh, of operations. It's always a pleasure to hear from you, Jack. I hope you'll come back again soon. Always glad to judge. Thank you for the for the Thank you. Judge Napolitano for thank you, Jack. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.